This is the Interesting-ish Podcast, where I hope you listen long enough to say, this was pretty interesting-ish. My name is Rick Meiring. I'll find the interesting stories, and you keep listening. Stick with me, folks. I'm still talking myself through this. What up, podcast people? This is Rick with the Interesting-ish Podcast, and I am super stoked to be interviewing the one and only Jonah Berger. That interview is ahead, and we will talk about uh, camp. So those in the camp industry, definitely really some good knowledge here, but also just life in general. Jonah has become a friend and mentor to me um, in some of the hard times in my own work at Camp Blodgett, but just has been a dear, dear friend, and we hit it off right away. Um, With movie quotes and music stylings, uh, we talk 80s hip-hop, we talk 90s grunge, and we talk movies. We're going to kick it off right away at the start of this with a small excerpt from the whole conversation talking about Braveheart, and I really think it captures a larger part of the whole conversation. So have a heads up for that on that front end quote, and then we'll get back to the whole conversation. Hope you guys enjoy, and in honor of the great Jonah Berger, chit, 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 check it out. What, 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 what's it all about? See ya. When he's lying in the dream right after his father is killed in the, and he's a little boy, and that night he's dreaming that he's lying on a table next to his dad who's mm-hmm. on his death table with the cut from the stab wound and all that. And his father just turns his head, looks at his son and says, your heart is free, have the courage to follow it. Has mm-hmm. always been like such a soulful vibe to me because that... You and I are great examples of that. We have free hearts, but it takes guts, man, to mm. follow your free heart. Like, it means going outside your comfort zone. It means testing everything that's normal and, like, safe to you because your heart's free. If you, the times where I am brave enough to follow my heart, mm-hmm. when I'm a brave heart, if you will, <laughs> but <on laughs> see what I did there, um, are the best times of my life. Yeah. By far, moving to Colorado, I had no job. We had no house. We had no idea what we were going to do, we being three friends and I, but I knew it was where I was, but I could feel that that's where my heart was yeah. pulling me. So I went and I figured out where to live, what to do to, for income, who to connect with in that area. Mm-hmm. Like, So it was one of the scariest times of my life, but by far one of the best. All right. Hey. 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 <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Interesting-ish Podcast. My name is Rick Myring, your host, and I have one of my dearest friends that I've only known for four years, Jonah Berger. Good to have you. Nice to be here, dude. Uh, nice for me to be here. We're sitting in Denver today. That is true, in my, in my very living room. Yeah, yeah. So <coughs> I've been here a few times, and you've come to Michigan a few times. Um, man, let's start out with uh, how we met. So... I will say I've been a camp director since the year 2009, and I became full-time with Camp Blodgett as the camp director in 2013. And one of those winters, I got an email from a gentleman at bluewoodfire at hotmail.com. That's exactly right. Yeah. And what was your pitch at the time? You were living here in Colorado? I was here in Denver. I was dating, so I had just come off of a camp job for three summers. <clears throat> two and three quarter summers where during that phase I met Megan, who's my now wife, mm-hmm. then friend turned girlfriend that we had started to date long distance. I um, got fired from that camp mm-hmm. 
due to no problem with the actual camp program, but the leadership of the organization were a mess. I was the fourth camp director to be hired and fired within 11 years. Yeah. They were never, never really satisfied. And so I got pushed out of there and it was a very rough kind of parting from camp, which has always been my happy place. Yep. After I left there, I wasn't sure what was going on, but Megan was the one best thing that came from it. I wanted to be in Michigan because she was still in Michigan in nursing school and um, decided the best thing to do was to spend the summer in Michigan and send out a letter to an email to as many camp directors mm -hmm. in mostly central and west Michigan that I could find and just introduce myself. My name is Jonah. I've been a camp director for six different camps, camps in my blood. I have a real strong desire to be in Michigan this summer. How can you put me to use? Right. Like, I wasn't trying to become a director. I wasn't taking anyone's jobs. I was just like, give me a spot at your camp. Like, yeah. I don't care what I do. I just want to be in Michigan and help you somehow. And I sent 15, 13 or 15 emails, and I got one back from you. <laughs> <laughs> no other responses. Not... Uh, I had one other response from the Girl Scouts of America, oh, which yeah. was really funny because I... Really didn't have a big desire to work for a Girl Scout camp, but yeah. they have male staff members at their camps. And so uh, he wrote me back, but there was a lot of red tape with yeah. that organization yeah. that looked like it was going to become more complicated than it was worth. Yeah. And so, you know, I got it's a little bit of a daunting thing to see a resume like yours. You had probably triple the experience I had. As a camp director, but to know that you wanted in and to know your circumstances was to say, okay, this could be a major asset, but like it could also blow up in my face. Like this guy could be a powerhouse ego. I'm right. not sure what I'm getting into. <clears throat> He's my position at another camp. Um, but we gave it a try and we set up a love coordinator position. Literally. In which um, this was a challenging summer in 2014. There was a lot going on. In America, um, between kind of racial divides, um, we also had some challenging times that summer. Tell me about your entrance into Camp Blodgett, working in a kitchen as well, doing some challenging work. Yeah. Um, having your expertise of, of over a decade of camp knowledge and coming and doing this. The, the largest change for me was because all the camps I had done up until Blodgett were... Uh, camps for campers with disabilities. Right. That's my profession. That's my comfort zone. That's my expertise. So camp is definitely camp is definitely my thing. But um, camps for kids with disabilities was a hundred percent my thing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm coming into a camp working with kids who don't necessarily have disabilities proper. But uh, we're more on the low income side of things. Right. A lot more. Uh, African-American kids than I had ever worked with before, um, poverty-stricken families, mm -hmm. and just a new dynamic, which at that point in my life, at least, was the recipe for excitement, not fear. Yeah. I was scared to death the first day of, of Blodgett, <laughs> but uh, I also know that usually that fear indicates I'm about to do something groundbreaking. Yeah. 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 Um, I can't exactly put in the words. I hope I find them sometime through this podcast, but... Uh, what a benefit it was for me. I know some distinct moments, either being that summer or when you'd come visit in summers later, where we'd walk away, you'd take me for a drive and be like, okay, what's going on? Hmm. And just kind of this checking in piece of empathy, um, because it can be very lonely, you know, 
it wasn't that I'm at the top of some multi-million dollar organization, but uh, being a headship at a camp with 150 people, um, you know, 100 campers, 35 adult staff, a bunch of high schoolers, it can feel very lonely at the top mm-hmm. of a location like that. And you had such this wealth of knowledge um, of helping me overcome some of my fears. I'm a very non-confrontational person. I'm a let's not sweep it under the rug, but like let's hope this passes, yeah. and then I don't have to be the person that f- makes it pass or makes it work. Um, and you were very much a person about, hey, I think you have to talk about this. Yeah, that's the only way it's going to get better. It was interesting with you and I because um, there's no other way to put it, but that we found brotherhood within five minutes of being on our Skype call. Yeah, like, for sure. I I felt instant connection to you. That has only grown since. Mm-hmm. Um, but within that similarity, we had a very strong difference with the style with which we lead. And that was part of what I loved about that summer is that I got to see effective leadership in a style that was completely different than what I would have done. And that is so healthy, especially for a dominating leader like myself, (laughs) to be reminded that you don't always have to dominate. You can nurture and lead at the same time. Like that, to me, is awesome. I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the whole thing. Right on. We have uh, men coming through the living room bearing gifts. Sidestepping <laughs> to boot. I dug that. And such such kind. Yeah, they were real sweet. Uh, but their... that, that was the very thing that I thought was very interesting about you. That has stood out to me about you is that, again, most of the reason that the other 13 camp directors didn't even return my call was that... They, probably like me, I've thought about this a lot, I may have been one of the ones that was like, whoa, I don't need another alpha male coming mm-hmm. into my dojo and like trying to like cause potential tension. Like That would have been my first thought. Your, one of your first thoughts was, how could this be a benefit? Right. And because I was also at a place where I was like, I wasn't looking to be territorial, I was just looking to right. help. We melded very well, but it was interesting how much you benefited by having the how can we make this work attitude as opposed to no, 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 this is my world. You right. need to be in your place. Right. Let I, me keep flaunting my ego. And, and you were also very open. I remember one of those times you speak of where we went out to just get a soda and like talk about one of the you were having a rough day. Yeah. And you were so open to my feedback on that. And I was, of course, like a little nervous to be like, hey, man, can I tell you how you're doing your job a little wrong? That's like maybe causing you some of your stress. And you were so welcoming of that, that yeah. it's it's been a very great reminder. Your friendship to me has been a reminder on um, the side of myself that I don't tap into enough, which mm-hmm. is be open and listen. Don't just, you know steer people but be open to them i love that yeah and the feelings mutual man and whether it be deep deep conversations like this or or that original kinship it also goes to music and movie quotes a hundred percent of the time uh i opened up with some office stuff with a cousin of mine um i was studying up on his his little deal but tell me a few of the so let's go back to your growing up give me just a short tidbit of where you grew up uh the setting camp in your life and then maybe some of the influences in like culture and music that were starting to shape like the hip vibe that we have in Jonah today. Okay, uh, let's see. Maryland, born and raised in Rockville, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there until I was 27 years old. My father was a camp director. He's still alive, but he's retired now. He was a camp director my entire life and 
almost 48 years, I believe, as a camp director and a high school teacher. Um, My mom did a bunch of different jobs, but I got my heart from my mom and my style from my dad, no question. And so as a leader, be it camp or I worked, I was almost going to be a classroom teacher for special education, decided classroom was too small for me. That's Mm. why camp is my happy place because it's open. Um, And the East Coast was... I don't know, a really great place to grow up. And then at, I left when I was 27 years old, a great place to leave. Yeah. Because it's very crowded and really fast paced and people don't, they don't, um, be, when you get that many people in a small spot, it's it becomes very easy to lose the human connection piece. You're just like a cog in the wheel. Yeah. When I first moved out here, the first few days I was in Colorado, the amount of people who would say, hi, as you walk past them on the street or in the store, blew my mind because no one does that in Maryland like you just kind of are in your zone doing your thing like amongst the thousands of others yeah um so yeah I mean but growing up there I got like hip-hop in the 80s was was profoundly carving to my musical taste and my spirit yeah um and it sounds cheesy to say, but it was the early days of hip hop, which was much more focused on positivity than it was on right. negativity, on deprecating anyone. Like it was like really enjoying the new flavor of this genre that was blowing people's minds. And I was literally mid teens when it was catching fire. Yeah. It was awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I, you also have, you know, you have this arena that I was unfamiliar with before I was getting old enough to be hip to music. Like, I remember when MTV started to come on and they'd have a top five and maybe like Bon Jovi was playing yep. and Madonna was doing her thing, a little bit of Michael Jackson, but like kind of those rock grunge band cats that mm-hmm. were like the transition from kind of our parents, you know, Motown rock of the 50s, 60s, 70s. And they were like this glue between that and this rock hip hop blow up in Full the 90s. Blown, right? Yeah. And you helped introduce some of that, that, those cats to me because I was too young before uh, interesting when that was all happening yeah so you know catching on a little more to the Pearl Jams of the world the U2s the just the grunge rock that yeah. was out there I was in a car I'll, I literally remember the moment that I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time yeah. had just come out of a store in Congressional Plaza on Rockville Pike and it got in my car turned on my car and they were like new song from new band Nirvana and Smells Like Teen Spirit and it came on man that guitar lick came on and I cranked as loud as my car radio would crank. I cranked it, and holy cow, I, I didn't move. I was parked in my spot for three and a half minutes and lost my mind and wow. had a very conscious um, awareness that this song was going to change things. Right. Like, and it did, and it wasn't because I called it. I'm saying it was so tangible, even to the listener, that this was brand new and it was really good and it was going to only lead to more. Yeah, you know? it for was sure. Awesome. So you've ended up being quite a live music person. Uh, one of the things, if you meet Jonah in person, uh, <laughs> if you get any amount of an hour's worth of time, at some point he's probably going to ask <clears throat> the following question. What, uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? Yeah, and for me it was Collective Soul. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like gel or <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they, they were wicked. Just the 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 chance to be in live music outdoors was really cool. But I got into that game late, you know. For yeah, feeling like I had to catch on. So Collective Soul is an interesting example, though, of a band that is easily written off by a lot of the masses as 
cheesy. Right. Or like not pure soul. I loved Collective Soul. Yeah. Loved them because they had something going on. Um, Chris Robinson from the Black Crows, <coughs> he describes it in the Behind the Music for the Black Crows, which is the best episode of Behind the Music okay. ever. He describes it as the song. In the air, in the sky, there is this, it's very hippie, but it's Chris Robinson. <laughs> in the air, there's this stream of energy, yeah. and it's called, he calls it the song. And any band that ever was reaches up and grabs a piece of the song and adds a piece right. to the song. And Collective Soul was a perfect example of a band that was never going to be like one for the ages, mm -hmm. but like had three or four songs beyond just Shine, which was their big hit. Yep. Three or four songs that were like, I loved Collective yeah, Soul. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mine was uh, Lionel Richie, Dancing on the Ceiling Tour. Yeah. Sheila E. opened up for them, who was Prince's find back in the day. Okay. She was this uh, mad drummer, man. She had glow-in-the-dark drumsticks, and the lights would go off, and she would just drum her butt off, man. Sweet. It was awesome. Prince discovered her. She opened for Lionel Richie, and he was... Amazing. Lights out. Awesome. Yeah. And where, where was that in Colorado or on the That East was Coast? Washington, D.C. So your trajectory brought you west. Was it a, a camp position that brought you out here? It was no position. I'll give you the abbreviated story yeah. as best as a Jewish man can abbreviate. But um, I, had a, I was in Maryland, about to graduate from grad school with a master's in special ed and become a teacher. Wanted nothing to do with becoming a teacher. Had a dream one night that I was lost in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. <clears throat> came upon a cabin in my dream, knock on the door of the cabin. It's my friend Stephanie Smith from high school I hadn't seen in like seven or eight years mm -hmm. at that point. Steph brings me in, gives me a blanket and a stick of butter to eat. Don't ask me why, but I've always remembered that. I wake up the next morning, and it was one of those mornings that you just remember the dream. And I was like, Steph, maybe I'm supposed to get in touch with Steph. Start calling around, finally get her mom on the phone. I'm like, Miss Smith, it's Jonah from high school. Where's Steph? She said, you just missed her. She moved to Denver two days ago. So the day before I had this dream that Steph saved me in Colorado, Steph moved to Colorado. I called Steph right after I got off the phone. I was like, Steph, I had this dream about you. I think I got a sign. She's like, Colorado's awesome. Got off the phone, looked at my best friend, my roommate, and I was like, I'm moving to Colorado. It was by far the, the least sensible thing I had right. ever even stated, much less done. And if you add up the amount of amazing things that have happened in my life, because I followed that nothing more than an instinct. Yeah. It, it was a million dollar decision. Wow. Um, and I've been here ever since. 19 years ago, I moved here. 19, yeah. Yeah. And so um, you've gotten involved in several, several different organizations or, or started some organizations working largely with a uh, population of, uh, dealing with disabilities in the greater Denver area, would yeah, you say? I would. Um, tell me about the development of some of those endeavors and, and maybe where they, they're onset. Uh, one I'm interested in is probably. The rhythm within. Yeah. Give me some of the, the take takeaways of that. I was working as a camp director for Adams Camp, which is a camp for kids with disabilities in Denver, Denver metro area, and <clears throat> needing more money. And um, Adam's mom, Carol, who was the executive director, was like, you have a way with these guys. You should work one-on-one -on -one with clients. So many of them need kind of mentors in their life to help guide them in the day-to-day. -day. Um, next day, I was like, Let's do rhythm, like because I love to drum and I love music. So the rhythm within is the name I came up with, and that was two thousand and three or four. Okay. Um, and just started working with clients, and over the last 15, 16 years, have grown it to a full client load over the years. I teach classes for young adults uh, who have high functioning autism mm -hmm. on employment success and communication success. Um, I do a drumming program in schools, talking about 
disabilities and special needs and how we all have special needs, not just those kids in that class, but what are your special needs and right. get the kids talking and drumming around that and public speaking. I've, I've done more and more motivational speaking over the years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been fascinating to watch because I even, you talk about um, that diversity piece mainly when it comes to race and um, be it disability, be it quirkiness, be it race, all these different cards we can, you know, stereotypes or labels that yep. we can put on people. I've watched you be a real glue, um, whether it's going out to lunch with some of your um, um, clientele here in Denver that, yeah. that are on the autism spectrum or... Um, meeting a, a friend of a different race and that an entirely different socioeconomic background yep. and finding kinship and yep. finding what we would call brotherhood. I had that experience personally. You know, I remember going to your wedding and, and being there at the night before where it was kind of a, a meet and greet for some of the inner family and just looking around the room thinking about how lucky and fortunate I am to be on this list of people that can call you friend mm -hmm. and it, you know but there's only you know so much you to go around but there's a lot of this um draw to characters like you what why do you i watch you see uh and find goodness in people at their own levels and you call it out and you name it mm -hmm. and uh you know what is i guess i don't know what the question would be other than i know uh, what your question is <laughs> what 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 inspires that in guess, my opinion yeah what draws you yeah what inspires that my grandfather was my biggest kind of role model in that regard is that i used to watch him he was the kind of man that my uncle describes my mom's dad by the way okay my uncle describes it when he would walk in a room the room would change like he was just one of those guys that had that energy about him that when he was in the room it was a better room you felt his presence he when he looked at each person they were the center of the world like he was able to look directly to them mm -hmm. and it was never about quantity it was about quality he would within 30 seconds have them authentic and connected and feeling known right which i watched that even as a little kid i remember watching that thinking that's that's what you want to emulate yeah that on top of having my father i mean both my parents have been very community leadership connected my whole life like extremely we we were a very community-minded family, but my dad is is one of the greatest I've ever met mm -hmm. in my entire life of like man of the people. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is to open your mind and your definition of what you allow into your world to everyone. You know, if someone's completely negative and like out for bad, I don't have a place in my heart for them, but <laughs> yeah. like as long as you're a decent person, I'm curious about you. And that's why I ask right away about I would ask counselors at Blodgett, by the end of the summer, we were having conversations like, mm -hmm. what's it like to be black? Mm -hmm. What's it like to walk down the street and be black? Tell me what you go through. Mm -hmm. Like, at the very least, let's talk about it. Right. Um, and they would do the same thing. What's it like to wear leg braces? I have a form of muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. What's it like to have a disability? What do you go through? And by the end of the summer, what felt like such a difference of the black people and the white people, like... Right. I was reminded even to myself that any bridge can be crossed as long as you're willing to just throw down, just be like, all right, yeah. let's talk about it. That's the problem is that not enough people are talking about differences. Right. So. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's no wonder that setting of camp or music, you know, you use music a lot in the rhythm within those are kind of these groundwork kind of baseline things that kind of bring us together on yeah. a human level instead of 
ways that we separate and compartmentalize. Dave Matthews people. Band has always been one of my favorites. Just yeah. exposed me to a level of groove at a very impressionable <laughs> young adult age that was life-changing. Yep. And his band is made up of a mix of black and white. Mm -hmm. And I just find that so interesting. Gogo Bordello, do you know of them? I'm not familiar. No. Um, he he was in this movie, Everything is Illuminated, with um, the guy who played uh, Spider-Man. Frodo. Frodo, with Frodo. Yeah, yes. Frodo was in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, What's the, his name? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Who's What's Frodo's Frodo? name? Who's Frodo? What's Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Thank you, Megan. Um, oh, so uh, The guy who's in that movie with him is the lead singer for Gogo Bordello. Okay. And their band is literally made up of seven or eight people from seven or eight countries. Mm. And the music that comes out of this band is unbelievable. It's like you feel the world yeah. in one of their songs because their band is the world. Yeah. And it's like the, the flavor you get by not just sticking to your own, but by mixing it up is so much sweeter than anything you're going to find just sticking to the easy, which is people who get you and are just like you. Totally. You know? My dad used to listen to the local radio station, uh, 88.1. It's WYCE in Grand Rapids. It's We call it the best little radio station in the world. Love and, it. Uh, very community supported. And But when we were into hip-hop and country and rock and all this stuff, like we wanted all the, the latest and greatest on. He'd throw on the eclectic, and we'd just be like, Dad, come on. Yeah. Just, but he was so on to something, because that's what I listen to now in, in my adulthood. And their tagline is something like, blues rock jazz and world beat so wow. you might have a local bluegrass like they do a ton of local um bluegrass and folk and then uh, they get into some of the hip old jazz yeah and then all of a sudden it's some world beat from you know africa or europe or wow. wherever and it just blows your doors off of, like people do music this way and this way yes and this way right and this way and that's, I mean, I did this world peace program for kids for three years where I would travel the world with a group of kids from Denver and we'd represent the U.S. Seven or nine other countries would send a leader with a group of kids and they would like work on culture exchange and conflict resolution. It was awesome. But same thing as what Blodgett was. The first day of camp, you're around nine different cultures all of a sudden and all you see is the difference. Yeah. All you see is the difference in their clothes or the words they're speaking or the way they smell or the way they act like... The Brazilians were so loud and boisterous and the Germans were a little more serious at first and like the Italians were just amazing. Anyway, but it was so interesting to see. It was a three-week program every time. And after three weeks of living together, working together, and most importantly, again, talking to each other, by the end of the third week, you didn't see the differences. Like you just... That wasn't what your mind focused on. All you could feel was the similarities. Mm -hmm. And it's that way with everyone. People, when they first see my leg braces when I'm wearing shorts, they're so hyper-focused on it. Mm. It's because they don't know what it means yet. So I'm a big believer in ask me. Or if I'm noticing them looking, can I tell you why I wear yeah. these? I got into the hot tub the other day at the gym, and there's this guy in the hot tub. And I, I kind of scoot over on my butt from the pool because I swim, <laughs> and then I go in the hot tub. I figure, why stand up without my braces if I don't yeah. have to? I yep. can. But I scoot over on my butt, and I get into the hot tub. And the guy in the hot tub, God bless him, was like, so what's up with the legs? Mm -hmm. That was it. Straight what's up, up with the legs? I loved it. I looked at him. I said, let me tell you what's up with the legs. I've got a form of muscular dystrophy. Here's why I wear the braces. Here's why I scoot on my yeah. butt. He totally got it. And then the rest of the time, we talked about our jobs and just shot the crap because we didn't have to focus on right. that because he now had the information he needed. Yeah. It was really cool. I really dig that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't think about it much because I and 
I don't even know if I, there's a very good way to articulate this, but um, when I think of you, Jonah, my friend, I don't think, uh, I don't naturally go, go to Jonah with MD or, right. or C, CMT. You, CMT. Yeah. Right. It's a form um, of MD, so that's fair. Yeah. But then, and at, and then at the same time, if you have an opportunity to come into the house, you have your shoes on, or you want to go have an experience in Lake Michigan, that's going to require some help, some absolutely some friends. And yep. so there's some very real pieces of you that um, that's a day to day experience. And at the same time, this um, greater piece that that is um, not the defining piece of you. Absolutely. If if it doesn't have to be like there are moments where I think I define it more as the main thing more than others. Mm. But most of the time I try to define it as a component of me, not as who is me. Right. Uh, but other people also have to have that open mindedness to say, OK, let me learn this as a part of you and not just put you in a cage that that is you. Right. You know, for um, listeners out there and then maybe a transition to Camp Footprint. Mm-hmm. Tell me, give us kind of the. The, the synopsis or kind of a, a small description of what it means, uh, what is CMT? CMT is one of the 42 types of muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy is, in essence, an umbrella term for 42 individual disabilities mm-hmm. that all have something to do with your muscles. Um, CMT is a, a problem with the myelin sheath, which is the coating of your nerves. So the myelin sheath is what insulates your nerves so that messages from your brain to your muscles can get there quickly and clearly. Mm-hmm. Because my myelin sheath is affected by CMT, worn away or extra thin, the messages don't get to my muscles as clearly or as fast as they need to, only in my extremities, knees to toes and elbows to fingertips. Mm-hmm. So over time, very slowly, my muscles deteriorate in those sections of my body. Uh, because they're not getting the messages from the brain clear enough. Gotcha. Um, so as a result, my feet drop down. I can't pick them up. So I wear these braces that hold my legs at 90 degrees. So that when I walk, my feet are picked up for me as opposed to having to think mm-hmm. to pick up my foot and flop it down every step. It makes life easier. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Awesome response, Rick. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I agree. Um, tell me about uh, the history now of Camp Footprint. Uh it's the first ever camp to host all individuals experiencing CMT? Correct. Uh, kids age 10 to 18 only with CMT. So muscular dystrophy does camps all over the country where mm-hmm. most of these kids, if they went to camp, would have to go to MD camp. MD camp is one of the greatest camps out there. I've done a lot of work with them over the years. But CMT is different than just MD. MD is like a whole range of kids. CMT is a very specific disability. Second most common um, neuromuscular disorder in the world. We call it the most common disability no one's ever heard of. Mm. But because there's so many kids out there with it, they finally decided it was time to to do a camp. And they called me because I'm a camp director with CMT. Um, First year we had 38 kids. Second year, we had 57 kids. Last year, we had almost 80 kids. Um, It's growing quickly. But the story I always tell that kind of summarizes footprint for me is the first year I come out one morning, I've got my braces and my shoes in my hands. And I come out onto the couch in the common area to put on my braces. And 99.9% of the time I've ever done that in my life, it's by myself the only one putting on braces. And I sit down on the couch and I start putting on my brace and I happen to turn my head to the right. And on the couch are two little boys who happen to be sitting next to me putting on their braces. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time in my life that I had company. 
not just someone sitting next to me, but someone sitting next to me who knew exactly what I was going through, mm-hmm. who has to go through a five, seven minute process every time they want to put their shoes on, not just pop them on and go, right. but like sit down and go through all of this fine motor stuff. And it, it was the best feeling in the world. Not, not, neither one of the boys saw me or happened yeah. to notice I saw them. No one said a word, but just that camaraderie of being around other people who get it without yeah. a word needing to be spoken is what's awesome for the kids. And like 70% of the staff have CMT, the director has CMT, mm-hmm. and everyone benefits from that because most of these kids are used to being the only one in their world who have a physical disability. Yeah. Some of them only one in their family. Like there's spontaneous mutations that some kids don't get it from a relative. They just are born with it. So to all of a sudden be surrounded by 80 other kids who totally get you and a bunch of staff who totally get you is like the first time they're allowed to just relax and feel normal. And that's powerful to be a part of. That's awesome. That is very awesome. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So what else, man? What uh, I could transition. I I will finish with three questions. Sure. I do it for every single one. Uh, We'll start with what's good. We'll secondly get into what needs mending. And then I want to finish with what's next, and that can be on a very macro level mm-hmm. or even uh, very micro, like uh, I'm going to get a burger later. Right on. Right on. <laughs> so uh, let's start with what's good. What's good in your life that makes you come alive, that you are just stoked about and, and makes you smile? Um, after a very long solo search for a partner who mm. truly matched me in life, I'm in my third now year of marriage to... To Megan, and that's the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I said that to her the other day because I meant it. It is the best part of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's saying a lot because there are a lot of parts of my life that are awesome. <laughs> like above the top awesome. But she being with her, as challenging as having your true match can be, it is the greatest joy I've ever known. Man. So that's number one. Number two, March 19th, our first child is due. Woo-woo. So that is, uh, that's really good in a completely scary kind of way. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and number three, I would say, is my career right now. After a long, long time of taking the alternative path, mm-hmm. I've always denied the traditional path, the secure path. Right. And for me... While scarier, it always works better to just follow my gut and do something unusual. Luckily, I've been doing that long enough in the same area with the same community that opportunities have been coming about in the last year Mm -hmm. that only can come once you've been cranking at something for 20 years. Like The fruits of a lot of labor are starting to bloom and that's... That's just so joyous to get up every day and know that at least for the most part, I'm paying all of my bills. Um, doing it my way, mm-hmm. to me, is the greatest thing I can say in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the three top great ones. Pretty good. Those yeah. Are, those are good top three. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Um, transition a little bit, and it's, it's of the same vein, but what is not so hot? What is um, when you wake up and you, you see injustice or ugliness or something that, that truly needs mending that you are also... Um, you have a keen eye for? I would say two things for what's not so hot right now. Number one, at first coming off the the first answer, my ability to balance all these things that are happening right now is not at all at its peak. Mm -hmm. And especially with a child on the way, I am nervous and aware of how much work needs to be done to consistently, I'm sure over time, keep a better balance of saying no sometimes to certain things, even though they're exciting, 
there are literally four or five different opportunities that are just coming alive in my career, each of which could be pushing a full-time gig. Wow. Like if I really gave it its full thing. And so I've got to constantly prioritize and like Megan and I are, are being intentional about talking about how I'm not yet at my game with balance, (laughs) but I will be, I mean, I'll at least continue to try to be. Sure. So that, that can always be better. And then number two on a much more kind of global level is I have always been the kind of person who's heavily affected by what's around me, which is why when I'm in camp, I'm so alive. Right. Because when there's all that community and joy happening, I literally become more joyous and more just grander with positivity. The same is true in the opposite direction is that every day we, we often wake up and watch the Today Show. And I've been commenting that the Today Show, as an example is so fixated on what's wrong that Uh I watch 20 minutes of the Today Show and I'm depressed about the world. And like when I walk away from the TV and there's this radio show, What's Good, every Monday morning in Denver, I hear that for five minutes and I feel better. So I guess my answer would be I'm brokenhearted about a lot of the ways people are to each other out in the world. And I'm very much wanting to try to do my part in my little corner of the world to change that. That could always be better. Yeah. Yeah. I think about my time in residential social work where I had to just walk away at some point because you have this huge heart for fixing and mending uh, children whose lives have been disrupted or they haven't had advocates in their lives or just simply parents that care or, or, or a lot of circumstances, but, um, that the burnout happens because you can put yourself wholeheartedly into the troubles of the world. And at some point, if your well-being is is being affected negatively by yeah. that, then nobody's winning. Interesting. Uh, and so in the last the last episode, <clears throat> we we were talking more about food, and one of the takeaways that this was Jill Tanis who has chatted with Sherry and I a lot about food in our lives, and she she said what we focus on grows. Hmm. So if we're focusing on, I need to stop drinking alcohol, stop drinking alcohol, stop, yep. and it's all in that. That no, no, anti. Absolutely. What am I going to focus on the whole time is the alcohol or the sugar or the X, Y, Z. 100%. And so even the twist in how we talk about things or looking at what's good Denver, um, you know, certainly there's something that happens to us at a metabolic level. Absolutely. That raises. And so. Um, Beautiful Mind. Here's a movie quote. Okay. Uh, Russell Crowe from A Beautiful Mind. It's an old uh, Native American proverb, but it's been used many times in many ways, but He says at his speech at the end of the movie, he goes, maybe that's the way of it with our dreams and our nightmares. You have to feed them to keep them alive. Mm. And it's like, that's the Indian proverb is like, which wolf do you feed? Like the one that's like chilling or the one that's about to attack you? Like, you know, whichever one you feed is the one that stays alive. And I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of feeding of the negativity in our culture right now. I'm, I'm trying as best as I can again to like feed the positive. I dig. Yeah. I dig. Well, Finally, what's next? Tell me a little bit about when you look out ahead and you think, oh, I want to go to Hawaii at some point. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, I've got this happening in March. Um, But kind of give me a trajectory of um, what's next. You know, you've done a lot of speaking engagement. You're a camp director one time a year. You've uh, written a sweet book, He Walks Like a Cowboy. Yeah. Um, Tell me about some of those dreams even when you talk think about what's next. Um, I... I have always had a dream and it's stronger now than ever because I've been doing a lot more public speaking to speak to a large number of people. Mm -hmm. Even if it's only once, 
Like, I would like to get up in front of a thousand people, not just a hundred people. Yeah. And I've done a couple hundred, but I've never been close to a thousand. And I think that is a, that's an absolute dream to somehow find a way to balance all these opportunities that are happening right now and hone it into a um, sustainable week-to-week work Mm -hmm. vibe that pays for my family and I to be okay, helps pay for my family and I to be okay, is an absolute dream because it's not there yet, but that's a goal. Um, And I would say, it sounds funny to say, but I've had so much grand in my life so much in front of people being the one that everyone's looking mm. at or the center of attention. And I'm fully aware of how semi-addicted to that feeling I am and how sure. how much I I use that that moment for good, but I'm very comfortable in that moment that especially with my first child coming, my absolute like biggest goal right now would be to be okay being in the background mm. supporting that child. Like, to not be the one in the center of attention, but to help them to find their spotlight and make as much passion and as much um, joy from helping my kid to find their way as I do from helping 500 people in a program to find their way. And that's going to be a challenge. That sounds really eloquent, but i got to tell you (laughs) that for someone like me... What a good heart this man has. He's going to be a great father. Don't get ahead of yourself, man. I'm I'm saying that's probably my biggest what's next challenge is to live up to not being huge, but to be Mm. small in one person's corner. Right on. Or two people's corner. Yeah, yeah, I had a friend say, a good friend, Mark Boss, way back, we were talking about kind of hero's journey and, and big name figures, you know, the Johnny Cashes of the world or, you know, Elvis, all these kings of their particular yeah. arena. Um, and he, you know, being famous, the whole celebrity 15 minutes deal. And so this draw to, you know, even the likes on social media, all these draws to be affirmed about yes. yourselfhood. And he, he talked about how some of the big names and the heroes, those are almost always tragic, tragic stories. Usually. And, uh, you know, quite often, you, yep. you know, there's there's disruption in the family, a lot of stuff like that. But they're, they're beautiful and there's redemption and, and all of that. But, you know, he said, you know, the, the true hero's journey is just the quiet guy asking himself, yep. what's the next best step to take? Yes. And and those are the, you know, it may not be written about. Yeah. It may not be talked about, but your wife, your child, your good friends, they see it. And that's, that's the small heroes that are the real beautiful stories. We talked a few minutes ago, you and I, about um, that to me has become, after 46 years so far, the measure of people I can get down with are people who are trying to work on themselves, mm-hmm. just actively trying to get better. And that can be small little steps or giant steps. doesn't matter to me. The only people I have trouble really connecting to are the people who are just sitting in it and not doing anything <laughs> with it. I have like, arrived at yeah, 23. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and off we go to the next 50 years yeah. of that ride. And like, life has gotten palpably better with time for me because I am one of the people who is at least trying failing 90% of the time, but always trying to move forward. When I am tied in my head, I go to therapy and I Mm -hmm. spend a few weeks in therapy just self-evaluating to like try to untangle the mind to keep on moving forward. That's hard work. Mm -hmm. But the people I love the most in this world are all doing that work as well in their own ways. And that's all you can hope for is I, I 
fully anticipate failing miserably as a father, but I am going to enjoy those moments as much yeah. as any because I'll learn and try to do it better the next time. Like, that's all. Right on. As best I can. Well, this has been a great sit-down. I really appreciate your time and uh, also hosting us here in Denver. It's really been a pleasure. Um, give me the first Braveheart scene that comes to mind when I say the movie Braveheart. Hmm. What pops up? Wow. Uh, the one that always first pops up is, I love you. Always have. Want to marry you. Like, that always blew my mind. My friend Mark and I, it's our, one of our favorite movies, and we always say that line because uh, he's, like, joking with her at first. He's like, you know, I assume we'll have kids. And she goes, oh, you want to marry me then? Yeah. And his face just changes. And he goes, I love you. Always have. Want to marry you. Like, he's so matter-of-fact about it, but he's so sure that she's yeah. like, yes. Yeah. Like... I love well, that first, movie. first she's like, "Is that your idea of a proposal?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. And yeah. meanwhile, his dad's like staring him down from the window, like, "Ah, that Wallace is back again." Well, and how exhausting it can be to fight the good fight day after day. Like he's exhausted in that movie, mm -hmm. and he never stops because he's doing what's right. Like, what more can you ask yeah. for as a role model, man? I was watching Gibson talk about a direct. He was. I think it was for Hacksaw Ridge or one of his later movies. Um, and uh, he was talking about those years of, because he was an early director then. And he was on like a, a forerunner on his kilt, like running from like oh, yeah. camera to camera. Exactly and he's right. like, there's hundreds of guys. He's like, not only was he exhausted in the film. Yes. Playing a character, but also that person, his person, was twenty-three like hour a day job bonkers. that making that movie was bonkers. when he's lying in the dream right after his father is killed in the and he's a little boy and that night he's dreaming that he's lying on a table next to his dad who's mm -hmm. on his death table with the cut from the stab wound and all that and his father just turns his head, looks at his son, and says, "Your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it." Has mm -hmm. always been like. Such a soulful vibe to me because that, you and I are great examples of that. We have free hearts, but it takes guts, man, to mm. follow your free heart. Like, it means going outside your comfort zone. It means testing everything that's normal and, like, safe to you because your heart's free. If you, the times where I am brave enough to follow my heart, mm -hmm. when I'm a brave heart, if you will, <laughs> but <on laughs> see what I did there, um, are the best times of my life. By far, moving to Colorado, I had no job. We had no house. We had no idea what we were going to do, we being three friends and I. But I knew it was where I was. But I could feel that that's where my heart was yeah. pulling me. So I went and I figured out where to live, what to do to, for income, who to connect with in that area. Mm -hmm. Like, So it was one of the scariest times of my life, but by far one of the best. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, on that note, we're going to go watch Braveheart now, yeah. folks. So. <laughs> no, uh I'm honestly really great to have you um, sit down, and I'm looking forward to releasing this episode. So uh, hopefully it's not our last. Uh, Amen, you, brother. You frequent all these podcasts from time to time. But Definitely. How can people connect with you? What, what's the best way they would be able to connect with you or kind of learn more about some of the work you're doing? I would say um, therhythmwithin.com is, is the main one. I have a um, blog that I'm writing yeah. called The Rhythm Within on uh, Blogspot. Um, I read so. yours about the kitchen last week. Oh, yeah. yeah like, we got all this nice furniture and sofas and everybody's <laughs> standing in the kitchen. Since I was a little kid, I've paid attention to every party my parents ever had. The kitchen was the busiest mm -hmm. place in the house. And we had a party last weekend and there were like 12 people in the kitchen and three of us sitting on our giant L-shaped sectional couch. Like, 
the kitchen is where it's at. Right. So is that blog connected through the rhythm, rhythm within, or it that's... is not? I don't know if it is yet, but Facebook is a great place to follow me. Yeah. Like, just friend me on Facebook. I'm pretty big about just accepting people's friendships on Facebook, just to have a wider audience right to on. hear from and to speak to. Awesome. So I always post them on there. Uh, the rhythmwithin.com is is the best place. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. Love you, man. Look forward to more. Right on. All right. Peace.